I couldn't think of a better day for us to say thank you to this church family than the day before Reformation Day. Many think of tomorrow as a secular holiday, but it is something took place in the church 505 years ago where God began to tear down the walls from that divided the clergy and the laity. And, and during that time frame, people begin to understand that the church was not made up of this institution of priests and popes and bishops. The church, the, the biblical model of the church that Jesus gave us is a body of believers. Every single one of us here working and serving together to accomplish his purpose. And I believe that unless we work together and serve together, we are not and never will be the church that God designed us to be. And this week, uh, some of you that are, uh, you're already talking to me about it, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to sit down and meet with me. It's been a while, it's been pre-COVID since we've had a, a, a new members or prospective members class. And a couple purposes for that is to help you understand the foundation of what we believe as a church body, but also then how we go about fulfilling the mission that God's called us to. So what we believe, who we are, and what we do, uh, it's going to be two weeks Wednesday, uh, the, November the 2nd, this Wednesday and the next Wednesday. It's best if you could come both Wednesdays because you'll get the full picture. But a large part of the reason that we do this is so that I can get to know you and you can get to know me as well. And so if you are a new member or you're interested in joining, you'd like to learn more about the church, this is a large part of who we are. Years ago, I began to realize that for the congregation of this size, we see ministries that go beyond the walls of this church that are equivalent of a congregation that's three and four times our size, our regular attendance. The only reason that happens is because every single member of this body takes responsibility for what God has called them to do and fulfills their purpose. Every one of you, whether you're, you're a giver or you're a prayer, you're an encourager, you're a servant, you're an administrator, you're a teacher, you're a leader of some type, every single one of us working together is what it's going to take to fulfill the vision that God's given us to reach this community. And that's why we wanted to pause to say thank you uh, to this church body. Uh, you know, on top of that, to be honest, I get a little weary. Every time you turn around, uh, there's a new national day. There's a National Cotton Candy Day. There's a National Popcorn Day. There's a, there's a Pride Month. There's a Women's Month. There's History, you know, Black History Month, whatever. There's every month, there's, there's always a day, there's a month. And, and then I've gotten to where I've gotten kind of tired of hearing about Pastor Appreciation Month. You know why? Because I feel like that, that I serve a church family who loves and appreciates its leadership. And you need to hear that we appreciate you. We appreciate this church family and this church body, that the Lord has privileged us uh, to be able to serve. And uh, we're all in it together. That's the bottom line. I don't believe that God has called the pastor or the ministry staff to be something other than a part of the body. And so as we, uh, we get ready to move into the message, uh, I want to take a few moments just to, uh, to once again, you've heard it, we're going to publish that but to say thank you, church. And I know, I know, I know that we missed some names. I, I went through a list of deacons and I know I missed some deacons. I apologize for missing your name. There's no intention there except to say we love you and we appreciate you in all that you do 
And a lot of you work behind the scenes. Some of you that I mentioned, you'd be mad at me for mentioning your name because you work behind the scenes. You don't want people to know it, but I'm sorry I mentioned your name. It is what it is. Let's pray together. And uh, let me let me give you the big picture again. Matthew structured the service. He, he always has intention in how he structures the service. Oftentimes it's around a particular past of scripture. This week he structured the sermon or the service, the entire service around the Reformation ideas, which referred to as the five solas. Um, that there's five principles upon which we stand. Now, the solace is a Latin word that means only. And so we talked about that we're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the three segments, the three solace that Matthew has already highlighted. My job is scripture alone which really means you don't need to hear my ideas from this pulpit. You need to hear from Scripture from the pulpit. And then the last solo as we celebrate and we get ready to leave will be for his glory alone. And so there's intention there. And so let's get, let's pray and then let's get to Scripture. Father, thank you for your word because it is your word that we find a solid, firm foundation upon which your church can stand. Lord, we know that we come to you in a relationship that is in some ways alive and fluid. We, we come to you in prayer and, and you speak. But Lord, your scripture is trustworthy. You provided us your word written down through the power of your spirit, working through the hands and hearts and minds of men so that we might understand your desire and your will for your church, for us, going forward. So allow your scripture to come alive today. Speak to us through your word. And Lord, let us uh, be challenged and changed by your word as we study it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This week I was out at the Deer Lease for a couple days and one of the guys I hunt with, his name's Bart Gatlin. He is a retired police officer, a friend of my brother, who they've hunted together for years. Well, years ago, in fact, there was a time when he wasn't hunting with my brother. He was actually hunting in May, Texas, right outside of May, Texas. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. But when Susan and I were living in May, the last few years that we, I, I served as the pastor in May, we lived outside of town about three and a half miles up on top of the Callahan Divide. It's about 300, 330 foot above uh, the, the land below it. It's a uh, uh, a series of, it's a long plateau. And uh, right across, actually from our front yard, uh, there was a drop off that, that went down to the, the gravel road and then fell off into a canyon that was called Copperhead Canyon. There's a reason that it was named Copperhead Canyon. When it would begin to warm up in the late spring, we would have copperhead snakes in our yard regularly. Uh, and we would have to pay attention to that and watch out for him. Well, Bart hunted right down from Copperhead Canyon. He was telling me a story this week of him and his buddy were out at the, their deer lease. His buddy was in the, the trailer and Bart was outside getting the fire going. And all of a sudden his buddy came screaming, saying some words that we won't say in here, out of the camper, snake, snake, along with some other words. Well, he was cooking in the camper and saw a copperhead about two foot long in the camper. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want a snake in the house. I don't want any kind of snake in the house, especially a poisonous snake. 
So what are you going to do in that circumstance? Are you going to say, oh, well, I don't see it anymore. It must have gone away. We can go on to bed. No. They tore that trailer apart. They took everything out of the cabinets. They took, took the bed apart. They took everything out trying to find that snake. Apparently, that snake had left. He scared the snake more than the snake scared him. The snake exited whatever hole it came in. And, but Bart said that night, boy, when he was asleep, he had the covers tucked in as tight around him as he could. And he's laying there with his eyes open all night long. I want to tell you that uh, if you have a snake in your house, your desire is to get the snake out of your house. You don't want to live with it. I don't mind seeing a snake. I don't mind seeing one at a distance. If I have a poisonous snake in my yard, I'm going to try to exterminate it. If it's non-poisonous, I'm not a snake hater. If it's a non-poisonous snake, I like having them around because they'll eat the rats, the mice, bugs, all kinds of other things. But if it's a poison snake, and we dealt with both rattlesnakes and copperheads when we were up on the hill in May, we wanted to exterminate them. You don't want a snake to stay in your house because it will, it's deadly. Having a snake in your house is equivalent to tolerating sin in your life. And some of us who are believers have gotten far too comfortable with sin in our lives, in our minds, in our TVs, in our language, stuff that we allow and tolerate in our life that can harm us, we need to eradicate, we need to deal with. And we're going to be looking at a text that can be challenging because it looks almost like John contradicts himself a little bit. And we're going to talk about that when, when we, as, as we walk through this text. But we're looking at 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Last week, we left off with this celebration, a celebratory thought that we are the children of God. If we have put our faith and trust in Christ, we've been born again. We are his children. We're different. We are connected with him, and no one can, can take that away from us. If we're born in the family of God, we are a child of God, and that cannot, uh, we can't lose that. But, but as John continues his discussion, he connects that to this next thought. Read with me. Uh, in fact, I want to read verse 3 just so you get a little bit of the transition. He says, And everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. Okay? Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins. And there's no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins does, has not seen him or known him. Little children... Let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's work. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. 
Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. Now, I want to deal with the issue that is like the elephant in the room in this text, just right up front. Because if you take this text in the, in the Christian Standard Bible out of context of the rest of the book of 1 John, it is scary. Because he says here if, in verse 9, everyone who's been born of God does not sin. Well, I must not be born of God, and I must be a child of the devil, and I must be headed straight to hell, right? Because we all know intuitively that we sin. Now, we're going to have to, what I want you to see here is a, reading that in the English language is, doesn't give you the full picture of what John's trying to communicate. And one of the easiest ways to help you understand that is to understand that John has already dealt with the issue of what happens when we as children of God sin. Back in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, if you confess your sin, you're a child of God. He's writing to the church. If you confess your sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So John has conceded that Christians will and do sin. He covers that territory again in the early part of chapter 2. So what's going on here in the text that makes it sound like just anybody that once you've sinned or if you sin, then you cannot be a child of God? The, the, the text in the, in the original language here indicates a practice of continual, regular sin. Okay? Go back to my illustration real quick. You might every once in a while get a snake in your house, but you ain't going to let that snake stay in your house. You're going to be triggered by that snake, and you're going to want to get rid of it. What happens is for the believer who sins, there's the Holy Spirit is going to convict you of your sin. It's going to trigger something inside of you, and you're going to grieve over that sin. You're going to, you're going to sometimes weep over that sin. You're going to repent of that sin. You're going to confess that sin. You're going to do what you can to leave that sin. It doesn't mean that it won't come back every once in a while. Another good picture here, uh, before I just move into the, the point by point of the text, is I, I fashioned myself as a pretty good baseball player as a kid. I loved playing baseball, and I actually was pretty good. I, I had some coaches that wanted me to play in high school baseball, but we didn't have a place for junior high kids to play baseball, and by then I started running track, and I was really good at track, and so, but I still wanted to be a good baseball player. So when really... I played some softball with church leagues every once in a while, but when I moved here, uh, Eric Asanzo had, a, had us getting a church softball team going, and I actually thought I was pretty good. In fact, every once in a while, I would make a play at first base that I would think, man, that, that should be on ESPN. You know, da -da 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 -da. you know, it was one of those kind of plays. But the truth is, I wasn't really that good. I think you just heard me say every once in a while, I'd make a really good stellar play. You go watch a professional baseball team play, and you'll see a shortstop that makes spectacular plays regularly with balls flying at him at 105, 110, 115 miles an hour over and over and over and over and over, so much so that they don't count the number of good plays the shortstop makes. They'll note it when he makes an error. Because every once in a while, that professional baseball player, whose nature it is, and through his practice and, and, and through his hard work 
and determination and studying the game. His nature now is to make the good play. Every once in a while, he's going to miss it. As a believer in Jesus Christ, as we walk in a relationship with the Lord, it should become our nature to not sin. But every once in a while, we're going to miss. And it's at that time that you're going to begin to really see the difference between a child of God and a child of the devil. So let's dig in and we'll walk through, uh, divided out the text, verses 3 through 6, I, we focus on this idea of the children of God do not exhibit a sinful lifestyle. The language that's used, the particular verb tense that's used here might better be rendered, for instance, everyone who regularly sins, or actually the CSB here says who commits sin practices lawlessness. You might use that word practices first, who practices sin, who regularly remains in sin. When we sin, we break the rules because sin is lawlessness. If we remain in our sin and continue to wallow in our sin, it's a sign that we're not of the Lord, that we're not of God. Children of God cannot regularly exhibit a sinful lifestyle without being under conviction and a desire to repent and turn away from it. It does not mean that children of God never sin but you're not going to be able to remain there. Why? One, because sin is lawlessness. Sin is breaking God's law, and that goes against the nature of who God is and the nature of who we are as children of God. It's no longer our nature to sin. Second, John says, Christ came, the very purpose that Jesus came was so that we could leave sin, so that we could escape sin. Romans 6 says, should we continue in, in sin that grace may abound? No, the reason Jesus died was so that we might have freedom from our sin. I believe that John is remembering the words of Jesus as he writes this in, in, in his letter to the church. He's reflecting back on what he heard Jesus tell the Pharisees and his disciples who were standing around in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus had just uh, set free the woman who was called in adultery. He had dealt with that circumstances and sent her on her way and told her to go and sin no more. And as he's addressing the leadership that are standing around, later that, that day, it looks like, the scripture says in John 8, 30, he, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, what's he mean by set free? What are you set free from? Some of the Jews begin to argue with him and say, we're descendants of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say we'll become free? Jesus responded, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave doesn't remain in the household forever, but the son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you will really be free. I know you're descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I've seen in the presence of the father. So then you do what you have heard from your father. I'm going to stop there because that gets into the second half of the, of the, the sermon in the next paragraph. But Christ came so that we could be set free from sin. We are not bound by sin anymore. 
We don't have to sin. You know, the, 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 the old idea that, well, I'm only human. I, I can't do any better. Or the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do anything. If you're a child of God, he has given you a new heart. He has set you free from the power of sin, and he sets you free from the consequences of your sin. You are free from sin. Well, how do you live in that freedom? Well, first, you have to know Christ. You have to be a child of God. If you're not a child of God, you don't have the advantage of having that, that new heart. You don't have that advantage of having the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, guiding you in righteousness, giving you wisdom, showing you the light between what's right and wrong. In fact, uh, you really can't even see it clearly. You'll notice that in the world, there's a lot of confusion between what's right and what's wrong, what's sin and what's not sin. It's argued about on the evening news all the time now. It's argued about in our school boards all the time now. What's sin and what's not sin? Well, what's sin for you is, is maybe that's not sin for me. No, sin is sin because God says it's sin. And, and Christ came to show us what sin is and to set us free from the power of sin. And so knowing Christ is a prerequisite from being able to live a sin-free life. As Susan and I have often talked about this, where you'll see somebody that's just, why in the world would they act like that? Why would they treat somebody like that? And one of the things that I'll go back to is those who don't know Christ are going to act like they don't know Christ. How would I expect a sinner to act? How would I expect someone who doesn't know Christ as a Savior? John's going to call them children of the devil. How would I expect a child of the devil to act? Why do we expect anything different from somebody that doesn't know Christ? Here's the opposite of that, though. What should we expect from those who know Christ? Those who have a relationship with Christ, who have that foundation, then have a new start. They have a new beginning. But Jesus gives us another hint here. If you continue in my word, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if you remain in him, abide in him. So as a Christian who has been born again, who's trusted Christ as my savior, what's one of the keys to me walking away from sin? It's walking in a relationship with Christ. Now, one of, one of the very basic truths here is just psychology. If I tell you right now, whatever you do, don't think about a purple elephant. What's one of the first things that came to your mind? Okay. So if I tell you, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, the old Baptist preachers, don't smoke, don't dance, don't play card, don't do this, don't do that. It's just like telling a kid, don't do that. Well, they may not even know that was a that, but you told them don't do that, and that, now they know that is that, and they want to know what's going on over in that, and so they're going to go over there and do that, right? Because they want to see what that's all about. If you didn't tell them that that was there, they would have never known that was there, and they would have never gone over there and done that. Right? So sometimes what we do is we focus so much on trying not to do that, trying not to sin, that our mind's on it. We're thinking about it. And we're drawn to it. When if we would turn ourselves around and look to Jesus and abide in him and walk in him, we'd find that we have less time to focus on that. 
And the closer you draw to Christ, the more that you abide in him, the further you'll find yourself away from that. Does it mean that you'll never make an error? No. You'll make errors. But when you make an error, you're going to be convicted by the Spirit and you're going to repent. Sometimes when, when, when friends or family members or church members that as a pastor I'm working with, when, when they really slip up and they feel like they've really done a bad one, they've sinned really badly, they, they, they're just broken over it. And, and oh, God can't ever use me again. Look at what I've done. If they're broken over it, I'm absolutely convinced at that point that God can use them again. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in their life. And it's evidence of them being tender and, and connected to the Spirit of God who's working in them to draw them. So if you're convicted of your sin, I say hallelujah. Praise God because none of us are going to be without sin. The problem's going to be when you start trying to cover and excuse sin. Children of God will admit and move, they'll confess their sin and they'll move forward because they're children of God. You're going to be better off the closer you get to Christ and the more that you walk with him, you're going to have more of a habit of doing things right and less of a habit of practicing the things that are sin. Those who are of Christ cannot continue in unconfessed sin. That's really what it boils down to. If you're truly walking in a relationship with Christ, you will not be able to continue in that lifestyle of sin without being broken and confessing. So children of God, John tells us, do not continually practice lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. If you remain in him, you're not going to continue in that lifestyle. Something's going to change. Second, when you get down to verse 7 through 10, really focus here in on verses 7 and 8. The sinful lifestyle is evidence that a person belongs to Satan. If somebody is able to continue to live in a, in a sinful lifestyle, that is evidence that they're a child of the devil and not a child of God. Well, that's weird language. We don't talk about the devil a lot around here except on, oh, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to say Halloween. Reformation Day, right? Let me pause there for just a moment. Uh, tomorrow is not Satan's day. When the clock strikes midnight, October 31st, I'm not turning it over to the devil. It doesn't, when, when the sun comes up tomorrow, I'm not going to say this is a, the devil's day. When the sun goes down tomorrow evening and all those little trick-or-treaters start coming through my neighborhood wearing ghost costumes and skeleton costumes and whatever costumes, you know, teddy bears, I'm not going to claim that that's the devil's day. You know why? Because God creates every single day. He causes the sun to rise every single day. And I, I would in, in, encourage you, don't, don't worship, don't celebrate the things of the enemy tomorrow, but don't go hide in your house. Tomorrow, if you live in a neighborhood up in this area, you have an incredible privilege. There's going to be people who are lost coming and knocking on your door asking for candy. Give them candy and give them a little bit of Jesus. Okay. Just, just redeem the day. Satan doesn't own it anyway. That's Celebrate. that This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I don't care what you crazy people out in the world say about today. It's God's day. God made it. 
And we're going to focus on Christ every single day. So it, it intrigues me that 10 months ago in the mountains of North Carolina, while I'm sitting there praying through, laying out a sermon outline, I had no clue that as I divided out the text that today, October the 31st, I was going to be preaching about the devil. God has a weird sense of humor in that. But here it is. Little children, don't let anyone deceive you. Why does he begin there? Because Satan is a deceiver. The devil uses deception to wedge his way into our lives. He'll tell us that something's good for us when he knows good and well it's not. That's exactly what he did with Eve in the garden. The picture that we have of the enemy there is that he used lies and deception to weasel his way in and try to do damage to not just her and Adam, but the entire human race. And he was pretty successful at it. Satan, the devil, is a deceiver. But listen to what Scripture says here. The one who does what is right is righteous just as God is righteous. The one who commits sin, once again, think continually practices sin because that's the verb tense there in Greek. The one who continues to live in sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Curious there what he means by beginning. There's about four different ways that could be taken. Is it from the beginning of creation? Or is it from the beginning of this world? Jesus was from the beginning. In the beginning was God, or was the Word, and the Word was with God. We believe that the word beginning there that John uses in a way to say that, that Jesus was there from the very beginning, okay? Jesus was there before creation of this world. So does, does he mean that Satan was, you know, from the beginning of time, from the beginning of cre this world was created, from, the, from Satan's fall? Or maybe from the beginning when sin entered the world, Satan brought it in through, through Eve. It, it could mean any of those things, probably more than likely from Satan's rebellion against God. That was the beginning of his sin. And from that time, Satan has been a deceiver and a liar and, and a sinner. He has sinned from the beginning, is what John tells us there in verse 8. The devil has sinned from the beginning. And when we continually dwell in sin, we connect ourselves to the devil. <laughs> and so what he goes on to tell us here is one of the ways that you're going to be able to tell the difference between children of God and children of devil is, is whether or not they continually practice sin or lawlessness or they're continually seeking Christ and moving toward righteousness. The devil will use deception. The followers of Christ are going to pursue righteousness. And then the last thing I want you to see here under this point is that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Up in the first paragraph, we said Jesus has set us free from sin. But Jesus came to destroy the works from the devil. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 tells us that exact same thing, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Go back to, to John 8 with me. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, I'll read it to you. Because where we ended is when Jesus said, I speak what I've seen in the presence of my father, so then you do what you've heard from your father. Well, that triggered something in them. Wait a minute, who's our father? Well, our father is Abraham, they replied in verse 39 of John chapter 8. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. But you're trying to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. You're doing what your father does. So they argue with him. We weren't born out of sexual immorality. 
we have one Father, God. Jesus says to them, remember, I think that when John's writing this letter to the church, decades later, he's thinking of these words of Jesus. If God were your Father, you would love me because I came from God and I'm here. I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You're of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? I'm telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? The one who, who is from God listens to God's word. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. Of course, that made the Jews even matter. They said Jesus had a demon. They tried to stone him. Here's my point. Jesus very clearly delineated why he saw them as children of the devil. Their, their father was the devil and his father was God because their sin gave evidence to that. What they were doing, how they were acting gave evidence to who their father was. I titled the third point here, who's your daddy? Okay. Who's your daddy? The evidence of your life is going to point to who your daddy is. If you are pursuing righteousness, you're walking in a relationship with the Father, with Christ, it's going to indicate that he is your dad. He's your father. It doesn't mean you won't ever make a mistake, but it does mean that you're going to be seeking him because, and this is what Jesus mentions back in John chapter 8, uh, verse 42 down through about verse 44, because you know the Father. If you have a relationship with the Father, you know him, you're going to act a certain way or you're going to desire to act a certain way. You're going to pursue a certain kind of lifestyle. If you truly know God, and you have a relationship with the living God, it's going to impact and affect your life. You're going to pursue righteousness. For these guys, they knew all about God. They knew their religion. You hear that? They were the most religious people of the day. They were more religious than any of us. But they didn't know God. They didn't have a relationship with the Father. You can be religious, very religious, and not have a relationship with the Father. And eventually, the evidence is going to come out. Right? Those who know God are going to pursue righteousness. Children of the devil, Jesus says, are going to continue in sin. Everyone who has been born of God has the seed of, of the Father planted inside of him, and he's not going to continually pursue sin. 
There's going to be a new thing taking place in the life of a child of God that is not going to be evident in someone who still belongs to the enemy. Now, and the, the greatest evidence of this, let me just get to that. The greatest evidence is that the children of God are going to love their brothers and sisters in Christ. Same thing Jesus said in John chapter 13. If you know me, love your brothers and sisters. The world is going to know that you're my disciples, John 13, 34, and 35. They're going to know you're my disciples when you have love one for another. He doesn't say, the world's going to know you're, you're my disciples if you tithe. I believe that all righteousness is an outcome of a relationship with Christ, but the evidence of a relationship with Christ, the primary evidence is do you love him and do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? If your life is not uh, characterized by love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and John is really going to hammer this in the next chapter, in John chapter 4, but if your life is not characterized by loving one another, especially within the body, it's an indication that you're not a child of God, but you're a child of the devil. Here's the bottom line. Those who are a child of the devil, if you take your last breath on this earth and you still are walking in a relationship and you're a child of the devil, you're going to spend eternity locked in with your father, the devil. If you were a child of God, regardless of whether you've messed up, if you were a child of God and you know him and you're walking in a relationship with him and you take your last breath on this earth as a child of God, you're going to spend eternity a child of God. It's going to be locked in. The good news is you're still breathing because you're listening today or you're online and you're, you're watching or listening to this, the message. The good news of this message is all it takes is for you to make a decision to come to faith in Christ to leave the darkness of this world and step into the glory of a relationship with the living God. It's all over the New Testament. One of the verses that, that Matthew read today, one of the sections from Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite phrases in Scripture, but God. We were a child of this world. We were connected to this world. We were living in darkness. But God, who was rich in his mercy, sent his son to die for us so that we could become a child of God. Colossians says that for those who put their faith in Christ, he took us out of the domain of darkness and he put us in the domain of light. The good news is that right now, if you have not made that decision, you haven't put your faith and trust in what God has done for you through his son on the cross, you have time to take care of it. You can do it right now. You have to come to a place where you make a decision and say, Lord, I'm going to quit pursuing the lifestyle is pursuing. I want to pursue you. Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? I am who you say I am. Would you forgive me of my sin and make me your child? And by faith, through his grace, God does a work in you that changes your heart and brings you into his family. That's the great news that you have today. You can become a child of God and begin to pursue him immediately. You can become a part of that family, and once you become his child, you're adopted into his family, you're locked into it forever. Now, evidence of that is going to be that if you truly know him and you put your faith in him, you're going to begin to pursue him. 
It's not about religion. It's not going down front, shaking the pastor's hand, getting baptized, going through the motions. It's about you putting your faith and trust in God so that you're, you become a part of his family. The bad news is, if you don't, if you continue to put it off, it becomes harder and harder and harder. And if you take your last breath on this earth as a child of this world, a child of the devil, you'll forever remain there. Every, I believe every believer has an eternal soul. That soul is going to rest in one place or another. Jesus, John says here, you're either a child of God or a child of the devil. He's given us the privilege. He's offered us a gift, and he's given you the privilege of deciding, of choosing. You can choose Christ or choose not to follow Christ. So if, if that's where you are today and you're not certain, in a moment we're going to have an opportunity for you to come make sure. Nathan and I are going to be up here, and if you don't know for sure, if, if you were to take your last breath today that you'd spend eternity with the Lord, we'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you have that settled, but you're dealing with some sin in your life, and the Lord's convicted you today. I'll be real honest with you. I, I'm not a priest. So I don't need to talk to you about it. I could pray with you if you want me to pray with you. But I would challenge you and encourage you to just come to the altar. Take that physical step. Nobody has to know what, what you're doing, but step out of your chair, out of your row, walk down here, and as a sign to the Lord, just lay it down and, and get down on your knees and, and confess your sin and put your trust. And just tell the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I know I'm your child, Daddy, but I messed up. Receive his forgiveness and move on. It's just like an earthly father is going to forgive their child and love them and to help them move forward, so is your heavenly father going to do the same for you. Don't dwell in your sin. Don't excuse your sin. Confess your sin and move on. And, and there you get to celebrate the grace and mercy of Christ. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise. Thank you.